What's going on, everyone? Might go back with another episode of Hobby Talk. Excited to be back, talk a little bit about the hobby, the hobby that is red hot right now. Ton of people uh, just having a blast with it, a lot of people coming in. And I'm thrilled to have JT, aka Triple Crown 24, joining me on the show today. JT, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. Big fan of the show. Happy to be on for. Believe episode twenty. Episode twenty is finally here. It took uh, you know, like a year and a half too long to get to episode twenty, but at least we're back. We're moving in a, a decent fashion right now. So hopefully that trend will continue. So JT, you are on YouTube as Triple Crown Twenty Four. You've been building a channel for the last several years, and you're uh, pretty big into the social media. You are on pretty much everything. So why don't you share? with those out there listening, where they can find you on social media. I'm in several different Facebook groups. Uh, Instagram, my handle is at it's triple crown, ITS triple crown, same thing on Twitter. Um, But the best place to find me is on YouTube. I always have the links to everything there, kind of my central hub for my collecting presence on the internet. And as a uh, collector, you like to do a little super collecting. You're a Tigers fan and a Miguel Cabrera fan, so tell us a little bit about that super collection you've been building for the last few years. Uh, It's actually pretty good timing because on the time that we're recording this is the one-year mark since I actually started keeping a count of the unique number of Miguel Cabrera cards that I have in my collection. And I've always been a huge Tigers fan. I've always had some of it of a small Miguel Cabrera collection within my larger Tigers collection, but through years of collecting guys who didn't pan out or they were traded before they ever made it to the big leagues with the Tigers or even various Detroit sports teams, particularly the Lions, it is definitely not easy being a Lions collector. There's a lot of disappointments along the way. I just kind of decided I wanted to focus on the guy who was proven, the guy who has provided me with so many memories that I'll never forget. And uh, as of today, when we're, when we're recording this, 2,254 unique cards and counting. It's a lot of Miguel Cabrera cards, and thankfully we have a lot to choose from. Obviously, multiple products every year, parallels and stuff. Uh, the base cards, I imagine, are pretty pretty easy to acquire, but I suppose the more and more you get into it, uh, the more and more difficult it can be to find some of the low number things. I don't know if there's certain products that you really focus on, but some of these low number parallels and stuff, especially with the market kind of rising right now, it's got to get a little little tough on the wallet sometimes. Definitely, and the competition is out there. There's been some Cabrera collectors who have reached out to me or I've kind of discovered uh, through bidding on certain cards on eBay. And it's just, it's fascinating to see some of their collections because it, it will blow you away, some of the stuff that they have. And usually building rainbows, what I'll do is I'll, I'll go after the one of one first. And once I have that one of one, I'll be more uh, driven to go after the remaining parallels. But usually that second rarest one, your one's number to 10, your one's number to five, you're lucky if you see them at all. So those have kind of been the, the bane of my existence here for the better part of a year, but I just have fun with it. Pick up what's usually the best deal for my collection. He's got over 16,000 different cards out there. So there's always a new one to be chasing if I don't win one. 
16,000, that means you're still scratching the surface there. Uh, it's just, it is cr kind of crazy because I definitely, I don't super collect. I mean, I guess I could consider myself a Phillies super collector of sorts, but because I'll buy anything and everything Phillies wise, card wise from all eras, but I am realistic and have no intention of being able to collect everything that's ever produced. Obviously just absolutely impossible um, financially and time-wise. But with certain players, um, I definitely, or like super fractors and stuff, I'll always like take looks out for those cards. And it's like, they're so rare to even end up on eBay. And that's the problem with stuff. I mean, figure a card's got a run of five, some sort of parallel, maybe a red parallel number to five. Like half of them could still be an unopened wax. One could be someone got it and doesn't really know much about it. And they just throw it in their collection, never to be seen. Maybe one goes on eBay. Maybe one's at a card show somewhere. So it's, it's very difficult once you get down to those, uh, low print runs of even having that opportunity to see the card, um, being available in any way or to even know anything about it. So I, I assume that's got to be uh, somewhat frustrating when when something does come to uh, the marketplace and it either goes way out of your price range or maybe you just miss it. Like for me, if I see a card that just ended on eBay like a day ago and I somehow I, – I had a few days where I didn't get to check anything and you're like, oh, I didn't even get the opportunity. That's got to be uh, a little bit on the frustrating side. Oh, yeah, especially as time goes on because a lot of products – you won't see opened as much, which means fewer people are pulling out new cards that will be listed on eBay. So a lot of stuff, for example, 2020 tops, I decided I was going to be very aggressive in pursuing a lot of those parallels. And I'm very glad I did because they very rarely pop up now. And it's with rising wax prices, it's getting to the point where fewer and fewer people are able to rip the hobby boxes where you're more likely to pull out of these lower end parallels. So that means more and more of them are staying in the packs where people just can't afford to open them up. And therefore us collectors who kind of need that middleman to bust them out of the packs, we're not going to be able to get our hands on the cards. So it also means there's fewer out there on the market to begin with. So the prices go up where a card that's numbered to 50 Maybe you're paying $20 for it instead of $10. It doesn't sound like that much on just one card, but when you're super collecting, it definitely adds up really quickly, uh, especially when you're talking about thousands and thousands of different types of cards out there. I know you don't break like a crazy amount of wax, but you certainly will break some stuff from time to time. Have you uh, ever hit like an awesome Cabrera on your own? I did. Uh, the one that is probably the one that stands out the most would be 2013 Tops Series 1. And what they did is they commemorated Cabrera's Triple Crown here with an exclusive relic set. And they are really tough to find now because a lot of the relics were actually never produced since they came in the pack as redemptions. Most of the time we think of redemptions as autograph cards, but in this case they were the relics. So I have one that I pack-pulled. And eventually I've acquired the remaining nine from that set. Uh, but that's probably the one that stands out most out of all the ones that I've pulled myself. Yeah, because it's definitely fun to rip wax. And it's even more fun when you pull something that has, you know, strong value. And it's even more fun when you pull something that has solid value or that is very rare or unique 
and it fits perfectly in your PC, that's definitely one of those special feelings where it's like, all right, this card's always going to stand out because it's always going to have that lasting uh, additional memory of where it came from. So that's that's always a fun story to hear. Right, and it's it's to the point, too, where, uh, for example, earlier this year I was opening up a mega box or whatever they're called of 2020 tops opening day and i saw i had a blue foil in the pack so i do the usual slow roll build a little bit of suspense and when i see it's miggy i it's instant i'm a five-year-old who just pulled his favorite player out of a pack it gets me that excited still when you actually pack pull your guy i opened up some 2020 bowman today and i was actually disappointed that i didn't get a cabrera base although i did really well that was the card and I was at least hoping to to get out of the experience. So it's always fun to have at least something to chase. And even when you pull a base card, it still feels special, even if it's a card I've seen hundreds of times before. I assume you were lucky enough to find some Bowman retail? I was. Uh, it's definitely been tough for a lot of people out there, but I was able to be in the right place at the right time this morning. I haven't seen any yet. I know people were like pre-selling them for like 40 and $50 a week ago. I Now that they're out, I have no idea offhand if the prices come down, but I do know that the hobby and jumbo prices are, in my opinion, um, very silly and not worth breaking at all. I think I saw hobby boxes were like 350 360 jumbos, like 620 and like tops put them up at, very high prices as well, but below that, and they sold out instantly, which is just crazy. So I think that's a retail-only product for most of your average collectors out there. Right, and to put it in perspective, too, if you look at a jumbo box of Bowman Hobby from two years ago where Otani had his first autographs, and that was the big chase, and people were offering $100,000 bounties on the Otani Super Fractor, that price, I believe you can't even get a regular hobby box with only one autograph in the box right now of 2020 Bowman. And it's crazy to think that, you know, at the time we were like, wow, that's a lot of money for a hobby box of Bowman. It used to be much less than that because just because of Otani. And last year it went up even more because of the Wander Franco chase. And it seems that this year the Jason Dominguez chase has driven it up to an, another level. So just when you think it can't go up more, top says hold on a minute it is nuts and we can definitely uh we will discuss the boom and the hobby at some point during the show but want to kind of stay on the collecting aspect for right now obviously we know since you told us and well i already knew but the super collecting of miguel cabrera but uh what else are you uh kind of involved in on the collecting side of things uh because obviously there's so much out there so much variety the different sports vintage modern and uh you know players teams there's so much to collect it it is important to focus in and have like that main focus which clearly miguel cabrera is your main focus your main pc uh, your super collection pc but are there other things that you like to collect for yourself either tigers or a different aspect in the hobby i do find myself sometimes if i'm getting frustrated perhaps with being outbid on several Cabrera cards, which was the case a couple of weeks ago where I just kept losing auctions. I kind of tried to look for an alternative. So I will go after little side projects is what I call them. 
I'm actually working on a new one right now that I'm not ready to talk about yet because it hasn't progressed enough, but sometimes it'll just be sets that catch my eye. Uh, the 2011 Diamond Anniversary parallel set is one of my favorite parallels that they've done. So I've kind of slowly put that together. You just pick up a card every now and then, maybe on a COMC or a Sport Lots, tack it on to order with super collection cards and just keeps it going over time. And eventually you build up the set. Uh, the Tigers ultimate team set, which was inspired by your Phillies ultimate team set, which is one of my favorite project videos I've seen on YouTube in my time on this platform. Uh, is just taking every Tigers card from 51 to now 2020. And it's a project that I kind of start and stop. Sometimes I'll gain a lot of momentum and knock a lot of it out. I believe right now I'm down to only four cards left and they're kind of tough ones. So I haven't really wanted to shell out the money for it because that's a big Cabrera card that I could be getting instead, which is what it usually comes back to. But one day I will finish it. Hopefully that's someday soon. Are they vintage high numbers? Uh, yes, two of them are 52 high numbers, which good luck on <laughs> any 52 high number. One of them is a regular 52, uh, George Kell, Hall of Famer, and then I'm missing one of the 51 bluebacks as well. Yeah, this blueback sometimes can be kind of tough. It's it's funny. I don't know. I know I went through kind of like that same thing where like I was all in, I was picking up stuff, and then things get in the way you kind of takes a back seat for a while then there were certain cards i was like damn these are like crazy expensive and uh you know eventually you bite the bullet and just do it but once it's complete it's pretty awesome to kind of pull out and go through uh once in a while which honestly i haven't done this year yet which i should i think this whole uh coronavirus pandemic um kind of delaying and changing everything and postponing baseball it's one of those things i would have actually uh been going through on opening day um and i just haven't done it which now maybe after this podcast i'll go through it and just flip through but it's a lot of fun i mean i did pull out the recent binder and put the uh 2020 tops in it's definitely a fun project and the thing is it's never really complete because now like for me in a couple months or maybe a month. I don't know exactly when the release date is. Obviously it was pushed back, but top series two will eventually be released more cards for the set. So that aspect's really fun, but it's great to kind of flip through. I don't know if you did it binder style. That's what I did, but just to be able to flip through and see the evolution of the teams change. And especially if there's like classic teams, you kind of see the team grow year by year as you flip through, see the style of cards change, um, see the style of facial hairs change is kind of interesting as well. There's a, there's a lot of layers to it that are really, um, really neat to look through once you're done that project. Definitely. It's, you can see where things kind of start to fall apart, especially uh, in this last run that the Tigers were on where they were winning division title after division title pretty much. And then all of a sudden you, you see a team set like 2018 where, no, there's no Justin Berlander in this team set. You don't have Max Scherzer. There's no David Price. There's no Ian Kinsler. There's no Jose Iglesias. It's just you're wondering who are these guys that they just pick someone off the street to put in Topps flagship or something. And it's, so it's interesting. And I think they'll be rebounding soon. Hopefully there are some rookie cards that will be going into the binder over the next couple of years that I'll look back upon as this was a major turning point, but only time will tell. 
Well, the other fun part sometimes, too, is when you're flipping through like five years from now, you'll look at like a 2020 team set and be like, oh, this guy actually became a really good, useful player. And oh, this guy was used in a trade to acquire this player that helped us get back over the hump and things like that. So the uh, future is still to be written. And, you know, it's it's always fun to look back on them. So it's definitely fun to collect for sure. But uh, I know you recently in the last uh, year or so uh, became a dedicated yourself to becoming a sports card and memorabilia dealer so obviously that is uh, a lot of work takes a lot of time a lot of discipline when you're doing things on your own and not answering to someone else but uh how's that been going so far it's fantastic and it was kind of just something that was a spur of the moment uh how it came to be was back in i want to say september so i had reached out to the show promoter for one of the big shows in the Cincinnati area where I'm located at. Very well-known show. It's held at the high school that was actually the alma mater of Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Lark. So it's definitely got some ties to baseball. And I was able to get a table. There was only one left. It's pretty expensive to set up there, but it's a great show that's held twice a year. And it was held uh, during Thanksgiving weekend. Actually, about a month before that, there was a notice posted in the Tigers Collectors Facebook group that's dedicated to just anything Detroit sports, pretty much, but a Tigers focus, that there was a table available for a show up near Lansing, Michigan. And being from Michigan, it's always nice to be able to go back and kind of spur of the moment Friday night, I said, hey, I'll take that table. So I booked my hotel about 20 minutes later and then packed all my cards up in the car, got ready to go, and uh, next morning set up the show, did really well, and the rest was history. I was hooked on it from there, just looking for shows every weekend, and then it just kind of evolved where now I have an eBay store. I'm reaching out in a lot of different places, and I've kind of built up a clientele as well of people who have me look out for certain cards for them. It's crazy to think that all that's pretty much happened in the span of half a year. Yes, in less than a year, but there's so much uh, opportunity out there uh, besides the fact that the hobby is obviously growing and uh, evolving constantly and clearly we're in an upswing right now. But beyond that, obviously you were able to do those card shows right now in our current situation. There really aren't or haven't been card shows. I'm not sure about your area, but here in southeastern Pennsylvania, I, I don't expect to have a card show anytime soon. Um, you know, there's still a few that are technically scheduled in a month and three months. And my anticipation is that they won't happen, but we'll see who knows. But the great thing about, you know, the year 2020 is that you have social media, you have eBay, you have online sales. Technically, I guess you could get involved in Amazon and stuff. So there's so many avenues to sell cards, uh, whether you get involved through someone like COMC or, do things on your own on eBay. And then, like I said, social media, I mean, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the Facebook groups are amazing. There's so many out there, whether they're grading groups or different groups dedicated to players or sets or eras of cards, a lot of opportunity out there. So, you know, you can build a lot of relationships and move cards. And if you have the time, if you're able to do well enough to just do cards and not have your time taken up with something else. I mean, if you put in solid 40 to 60 hours a week, you can do very, very well as long as you're a 
well-disciplined person and not someone who's just going to be like, you know what, I'll take uh, two weeks off to sit here and just binge Netflix nonstop. That, that would be a problem. Right. It definitely, there's a lot of times where you have nobody to answer to and you want to turn in at 10 p.m., but you know that you have to be listing for a few more hours and you got to kind of just push yourself uh, to do so, especially with some of the cards that I list since I mostly focus on lower end stuff. Occasionally, if I come into a great deal or perhaps I submit cards of my own that are higher end, I will have those in my inventory. But for the most part, we're talking $20 and less for a lot of the cards I have. And in order to make it work means you got to, I have it down to a system now where I can list them pretty fast, but still requires a good amount of time and you have to be self-motivated, but I, I really enjoy it. Every day has a new challenge to it or a new opportunity. You never know what kind of deal you might find on a new lot to pick up for your inventory, or you might run into someone who's been looking for a car that you've been able to un, uh, not been able to unload for six months since I first started. So it's just fun to always be able to expect the unexpected. And obviously you're still a collector. So, you know, how's it been balancing selling cards? Because it's important because it's how you're making a living right now. Like balancing that with, you know, still collecting. Um, Because I think it's definitely important if you're involved in the hobby to collect a little bit to get enjoyment out of it, to kind of keep yourself fresh. So you can get bogged down with just selling stuff. Um, plus it gives you a good perspective on why people want to collect and what they might be interested in and how you can kind of uh, better serve those who are you know, relying on you to add to their collection. Right. I think there's two parts uh, to that answer, one of them kind of tying into what you just said there. So there's been several cards that I've shown off in some of the card show recaps videos that I've done where people say that's an amazing card. Congratulations on adding it to your collection. And I kind of say, yeah, I mean, it's nice to have this card, but eventually it does have to move. And some of the ones that come to mind right away is I had a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie upper deck in a PSA 9. I had a Reggie Jackson 1969 tops rookie. I had a 58 tops AL NL batting foes, Mantle and Aaron, just beautiful cards that I was a huge fan of at the time. And it was really cool to make the purchase and have them. But being a dealer, it really does force you to kind of have that conversation with yourself and make those priorities. So what are my priorities? Kind of trim the fat off of the collection and kind of determine what am I going to focus on if I do want to keep collecting? And what am I going to say? Okay, I, I can move along uh, from this particular subject. So that's kind of what's refined my Cabrera Super Collection to the point that it is. And then the side project, excuse me, the side projects that I normally have, um, they're lower end stuff, like the Diamond Anniversary set that I mentioned before. Those cards, usually a buck or two a piece, I just pick them up at a dollar box at a show. Everything else, uh, the Tigers team said a lot of those cards are just commons that you can get a dime a dozen of. Some of the vintage are a little bit tougher with Al Kaline being probably the toughest guy to get, especially some of those early years. They can get quite expensive, but uh, it allows me to kind of keep it fresh. And then if I am going to 
put some money into a big card for myself, it's going to be a Cabrera card. But having that one player PC focus is essential to me uh, to be able to let go of stuff and not be able to get caught up and allow emotion to kind of influence my decision of whether or not I want to sell it. And you mentioned too about being a collector helps you understand what people are looking for. And I think that's 100% true. I think in order to be a successful dealer of sports cards, sports memorabilia, really anything that is a luxury item, a collectible item, you kind of have to have an appreciation for it, an appreciation, a love for the hobby, a knowledge of how the hobby works, be able to put yourself in the mind of a collector. So one of the things that I really enjoy about shows or even just conversing uh, through the internet, multiple different platforms is just getting into the psychology of why people collect and being able to understand that. For example, uh, you put up a video showing off in addition to your Phillies collection. I know that you're a Phillies fan. I know that you PC the Phillies, but I know that there's also a deeper reason. There's so many different options out there. Why did you choose this specific item to add to your collection? What was it that drove you to make this purchase. And I think understanding that is what goes into my strategy and being able to provide the most that I can to potential clients and customers of my own. Yeah. I think collecting should be fun and it should be deep. And I think it's interesting to hear everyone's stories and everyone collects or everyone's involved, I should say in the hobby for a different reason. Like there are people in it because they see the money signs to me, that's one of the things that seems to be happening right now. I mean, there's a large number of people uh, popping in, but I really, really find it um, interesting, especially on like social media. Like, I, I like seeing people show off an awesome card or an expensive card, like a rare card. That's that's always cool. But when there's a reason for it, that makes it um, so much deeper, and you know, makes it a lot more special when someone's showing off a vintage card showing off like a memory or a connection to a family member or picking up something that has a nostalgic feeling to it like that just that adds something special to it and that's part of collecting it's fun to put together sets i guess and it's fun to break wax because there's a thrill of it but picking up cards um that have deep meaning is just uh it's pretty awesome it definitely kind of gives you an insight into people Absolutely. And it allows us to encapsulate those memories that we have through sports. Uh, they're items that are one use only, uh, consuming sports. So you can't relive the 2008 Phillies team. Uh, you can rewatch footage of it. Uh, for me personally, I was at the 2006 game four of the ALCS when Nightly Ordonez hit his walk-off home run that sent the Tigers to the World Series. And I have a memory of that moment, but there's no way that I can ever replicate it in that exact scenario uh, under those circumstances ever again. So the best thing that I can do is to <clears throat> collect items or rewatch that footage somehow to kind of relive that experience and capture lightning in a bottle again. Uh, somewhat so that's why you see all this merchandise and cards i believe play a huge part in it it allows us to kind of connect with these special memories and players that we've developed a lot of them childhood heroes or 
perhaps even modern day heroes, people that we look up to, people who might be leaders in our community as well uh, for their contributions off the field, off the court, whatever their respective sport is. And I think it's fantastic way to kind of, I've been into a lot of different uh, collecting avenues. I've tried photos, I've tried uh, larger signed items, but I always seem to come back to carts. Never really have left it. It always has been my true passion. Yeah, cards has been a consistent part of the collecting hobby in terms of sports for a very long time. Obviously, they've produced them for over 100 years and kind of in its modern-day form since 1952 with tops. And uh, there's just something fun about collecting it, collecting your favorite player, collecting your favorite team, even the whole prospecting and investing angle like being right about something because a lot of times you're following a player i mean there's certainly people who just follow other people's trends but like watching a young player and seeing something special and starting to collect their cards and then watching their career take off and kind of pay off i mean obviously it can pay off financially if you make the right choices but there's also something that feels really good about watching that and it gives you um like extra motivation to root for players outside maybe your your average uh, your average players or teams you would root for so there's there's a lot of levels to to collecting cards it's it's a lot of fun there's so many things you can do with them now you can grade them you can kind of chase those high grade cards you can get them autographed whether it's through the mail or in person uh, when the time's appropriate so you can set build you can play or collect there's so many different ways to collect and that's every one of them are special for sure and you you mentioned being right as a as a way that a lot of people enjoy collecting i think it's extremely rewarding um personally i still remember the day when cabrera was traded to the tigers i remember exactly where i was and exactly what i was doing uh when i found out about that news and to be able to follow his journey and with his milestones coming up such as possibly 3,000 hits possibly 500 home runs to have been along for the ride all the way since his beginning in detroit it's extremely rewarding to see that pay off. And if you're someone who maybe has returned to the hobby in the past couple of years, I think that's why this new crop of superstars is so appealing. A Cody Bellinger, a Christian Yelich, a Ronald Acuna Jr., a Juan Soto. You get to see these guys come up and become stars right in front of your own eyes and kind of be with them from the beginning. And imagine 10, 15 years down the line if these guys are able to continue the pace that they're at or even put together a resume that enshrines them in Cooperstown one day, how rewarding and how much of a payoff that is after uh, all of those years of buildup. It's definitely exciting to have all these good young players. Uh, but I definitely, like, it's it's said all the time. You see it on social media. There's no right way to collect. And that's obviously true. And there's so many different ways to collect. And yes, certain cards and certain prices are pricing some people out but like you can still collect uh very affordable stuff there's a lot of quarter and dime boxes and dollar boxes at shows or obviously in today's world um you can do it through different websites like sportslots.com or sportlots i think it's called uh i've actually the other day i ordered a ton of stuff on there just kind of fun stuff players i like uh for different different reasons i wanted to pick them up i picked some up that's not like a great 
place to buy cards for potentially grading, but if you can get a big lot of like 20 cards for a dime each, like maybe you'll find something and hey, I'm going to get some stuff graded that people are going to roll their eyes at probably. But you know what I eventually realized is you got to collect for yourself. Um, that's the right way to collect. Collect what you like. You can, like I dabble in a million different things um, because I, I really do enjoy all of it. But the things that mean the most to me, like we talked about before, the things that connect me to either my childhood or my memory or uh, memories I have watching the Phillies and that's that's connecting me to like you were talking about 2008 and you know right now with no baseball as a huge baseball fan it's really disappointing to not be able to look forward to watching a new game every night but watching some of the old games is just resurrecting those memories and I start thinking about like oh I was with this person that night and I was there that night and I was over there that night and I remember going over there with someone that night and it's like all these uh fantastic memories especially when a team goes on some sort of special run it's uh it's pretty crazy and it just gets you kind of excited uh in different ways in the hobby even if it's cheap stuff so that is all uh a tremendous amount of fun and that plays into some of the nostalgic stuff that we'll uh be talking about shortly as we uh start to discuss about the start to discuss the current way the hobby is just rolling out crazy but before we get into that uh just want to get any last thoughts from you on uh you know our recent topic and then talk a little bit about the grading group PSA grading I know you're doing group submissions now obviously because I was doing them at one point and uh handed the torch over to you in the last month so I want to give you a chance to kind of discuss that yeah definitely uh PSA is something that I really wasn't into when I first started uh getting into the hobby really seriously in terms of graded cards. And I guess a lot of that was because I collect differently from a lot of different people, I would say, where I don't necessarily chase a lot of cards that are popular among wide masses. It has more so of a niche following, especially uh, with my super collecting ways now. Uh, but in general, I think slabbed cards are awesome. Uh, being able to work alongside you while you handle the SGC submissions I think it's fun and it allows to have some options out there too. If I would say that there's one thing I would like to see more of in the hobby, it's competition. Some of my favorite sets I've seen over the years collecting wise came out in the two thousands. And if you look at that time, you have, <clears throat> you don't just have the tops monopoly on the baseball licensing. You have upper deck and a huge fan of upper deck would Give anything to have Upper Deck Baseball back. You have all the different Donruss brands, all the different Fleer brands. Just that competition sparked so much innovation and so many cool sets and designs that you just don't see as much of anymore. And I think the same can be applied for grading. It's no secret that PSA is the gold standard. And the recent rise in popularity of SGC is fantastic, in my opinion, just because if anything else... It's going to push PSA, it's going to push BGS, these titans in the industry, to at least take a look at what they're doing and maybe come up with something new. And at the end of the day, it just benefits the collectors. So sometimes I'll see negativity towards PSA, BGS, SGC. It seems there's a lot of people who choose their camp and that's that's who they're sticking with. And that's fine. You can have your own personal preference, of course, but I don't think it has to be where you're 
or on anybody's team. I think overall just embracing the general competition is something that will end up benefiting us collectors. And sometimes it's not always the case where the competing interests in the hobby will actually benefit the collectors out there. Yeah, I think it's definitely important for um, people to just realize they have options and the more you use different options, the more pressure you're going to put on each of these companies to kind of reevaluate themselves a little bit. And I agree. I, you know, I love tops. I love a lot of these tops products. I'm huge, huge into the nostalgic portion of it. Like I love tops archives and tops heritage and all that stuff, but there's a lot of newer collectors that maybe aren't into that because they just have no connection to some of the older cards. So I think tops could probably do a better job of doing some things that look a little different um, besides just the standard tops and Chrome and then the throwback type of sets. Something that I remember, like Upper Deck, I love like the early years Upper Deck, like 89 and 93 is an awesome year. After that, I started to not, there. there's a few years where their base cards are pretty cool, but there's some that I just did not care for. But what I thought really um, was amazing about Upper Deck is they're non-flagship products. Some of those things are just, they were just unbelievable looking. All the SP stuff and the, uh, like some of those, I guess it was SP Authentic uh, years later, just different looks and just amazing products put out by Upper Deck. And I, I do think that the hobby misses that from time to time where it's like, all right, well, if you want baseball, this is what you're buying. And if you want football, this is what you're buying. And then just kind of the companies get so... Uh, you know, they're always doing more things and they're very active in building their brand online and such, but not having any competition doesn't help us as hobbyists. No, I'm, it's definitely to have all those different sets and you get different ideas too, where if you have the same group of people making the same group of decisions over and over, eventually there's a lot of conformity that will come out of that. And a lot of complacency becomes very formulaic. Uh, you kind of have to keep things constantly changing in my opinion to really just keep things fresh and keep the interest of a lot of collectors out there. And I will give tops credit that they do a lot of different products, especially on their on demand market, I think is where they show the most flexibility. You talked about it at great lengths uh, in the last episode of Brian about project 2020, which is, something that's completely different. Uh, a lot of people met it with criticism at the beginning, but now I would say it's one of the most, if not the most popular topic in the hobby are those cards. And they've had success with several online brands. I know that the Topps X sets have gained a lot of popularity. There's the Topps Living set, which continues to maybe not be as strong as it was in its initial 2018 releases, but still has a really solid following and probably even more ideas that they have awaiting us here in the future. Yeah, they definitely got to make sure they spread it out a little bit and save uh, save something so they can kind of come up with something new uh, every year, as well as continuing what they have going on. Another thing uh, real quick that just popped into my head is, you know, I look back and sometimes I'll just have like these nostalgic feelings and Phillies cards, right? I'll look things up and then I realize I'm like, damn, I don't have any of this player in any of my top sets because they just didn't make them. Whereas Fleer, Donruss, like there was more variety in the 
in the checklist back then. So I think that's another thing that kind of hurts a little bit because obviously certain products and at their price points, you're only going to have the players, the top players in the sport. But man, I love like those wide release, like tops flagship sets or even something last year, like tops total where you get some of these guys that, you know, might only get a couple cards in their career. To me, that that's cool when you're a team collector obviously your average collector probably doesn't couldn't care less about some of these players but i think there is a market for it i think it's important to produce a a little bit of everything for everyone i always think of myself as the tony stark gift i believe it's from the original iron man where he's rolling his eyes anytime i see one of the throwback thursday releases because it only seems to be the same couple dozen or so guys that are continually on the checklist and i always think to myself weren't they just on the last time they did this design but i don't keep good enough track of it and of course i'm one of the five tigers fans that are out there uh but we would like to see some of our players in some of these sets so it's definitely frustrating if you say that you have a one to four hundred card base set come out of a product that's not flagship for Tigers fan, you're looking at Miggy's probably in there, whoever our rookies are that year, and then maybe one semi-star. Like right now, it'd probably be Matthew Boyd. Um, and I kind of just base that off of what I saw on the Bowman checklist. So it's nice uh, sometimes, especially like a tops total where you get cards of guys who otherwise would have never gotten cards of. And I know that Panini last year in Optic and Prism put in some guys where I was surprised to see that they acknowledged them with a card in the set. It definitely uh, captured my interest and made me a little bit more motivated to check out some of those cards. So it's uh, it's cool when Tops and Panini diversify the subject list. Yeah, and you just need to get that out there for different collectors to have the ability to buy. The thing I like about the Tops on demand stuff, the overall, is that like you don't even have to buy it directly from Tops. You have the option to buy it elsewhere, but just to kind of get more options out there for collectors is great. All right, so we've had a pretty good discussion uh, so far. It's been a little more uh, kind of interview driven in a way, uh, just giving people a chance to get to know you, JT. But right now we got to shift things. Um, over to the hobby boom. I kind of went over this to a degree with Brian on my last episode. There's always more to expand on and, uh, there's no doubt that it's going on. It's crazy. I guess we can discuss and we'll see, uh, kind of where it takes us, but some reasons for it, uh, is it real and can it last? Like those are three things that I kind of have written down like what are the reasons for this hobby boom what is it real what percentage of it is is real and you know can it last and how long can it last these are all things that we can kind of uh chat a little bit about right now well correct me if i'm wrong on this mike but i'm pretty sure we had kind of the same idea when the coronavirus pandemic really became prevalent in the united states where we thought that there would be kind of a there was a boom in the hobby right before that with uh, the Gary V hype on some of the key rookie cards. And there's a lot of interest in baseball cards. And then the pandemic hits, we kind of expected that things kind of return back to normal and then maybe prices drop a little bit, kind of becomes more of an opportunistic market uh, for a lot of buyers out there. And in reality, it's kind of been the complete opposite. Uh, a lot of people have been drawn into the hobby that previously weren't in it. 
And there's a few factors that come to mind right away. Um, the first one being the absence of sports. So a lot of us are sports addicts. I know that it's got to be very odd to not see a Phillies game every night. It is definitely strange for me to be sitting here in May and there's no Tigers baseball being played. And I don't know when the next Tigers baseball game will be played. All I can kind of do is just kind of revisit the past and what I already know since the future is a little bit unknown still at this point. We'll, we will have baseball eventually, just the timetable is not fully um, out there at this time. So what do we do in that absence as well while we look back? And I think collecting is actually a really great way for us to kind of get our fix for sports in the meantime. It allows us to connect with those players that maybe we're really missing right now. I know a lot of people were at home for extended periods of time. A lot of people are going back to work now. Some are still waiting to get back to work. Uh, the situation, I think, just varies depending on where you're at. But sports is definitely an escape that a lot of us see. And without sports, we kind of have to find the next best alternative. So I definitely think that. And there's a lot of new eyes on the hobby as well. A lot of different people are kind of getting into it. I think more and more people are kind of revisiting a lot of nostalgic things. So that's why more and more people are maybe looking back at their old baseball cards or whatever the case may be. Um, there's outside influences as well. So you have your Gary V types or your Phil Hughes types, people who don't necessarily have a sports card background uh, as their main source of where they came from or what they're most notable for in terms of pop culture. Although they have that connection to the hobby and they are able to reach people that are kind of outside this bubble that we have within the hobby. There's also, again, Project 2020. Seen a lot of people, especially in the Project 2020 Facebook group, who have never collected a baseball card in their life, but they follow these artists. So you see this huge migration from the art community who follow these artists who come from multiple different backgrounds. They have multiple different styles of art. So different sub-communities within the larger art community, just like we have sub-communities within our hobby who are coming in and now they're interested. And who knows if this interest is something that will keep up, but at least it is putting new eyes on the hobby. It's just there's a lot of new eyes all at once and it can be a tad overwhelming. It's definitely boomed like crazy. And like when this was all happening, when the whole coronavirus thing just everything blew up, everything changed the night that the NBA suddenly people were watching it and, you know, they suspended games and then within, I think an hour announced that they were suspending the season. And then Tom Hanks came out like an hour or two later that night. And I just remember everything with the coronavirus changed that night. That's like, you had heard about it from overseas for a little while. And then you started to hear a little bit about it in the United States, but that's night when sports was involved, that's where everything just kind of clicked and everything was different from that night forward, really. Um, and, and there was certainly a softening in the hobby for a short while. And I didn't, I obviously, like you mentioned, the hobby had been booming for a while. It's been growing and growing and growing for years. And things were taken to another level after Gary V started doing some of his live streams and he kind of made mention of some players and those prices spiked and 
one of the reasons is he has a huge following, like a monstrous following on social media, like millions of people. And most of those people are entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs. And so they're going to listen to what he says and take it serious. And they started getting involved in sports cards. Um, but beyond that, like just the collector's base, people have been getting more and more into it for years. And the thing that I think a lot of people didn't expect and myself included was when this was going on, you know, I thought the card market would, would soften a little bit and, I didn't really fully know what to expect, but if there's no season, if they're like, what are people going to do? Because every day that goes by is a missed opportunity for some of these young players to add statistics and really not even just the young players, a guy like Miguel Cabrera, every day that goes by where he's not getting to play a game, maybe it's a little more difficult for him to get to that 3,000 hit plateau, 500 home runs. So it's it's going to have a, an effect on guy's career statistics to a degree but we're talking about right now and I think the thing that myself included didn't necessarily think about because there's still a lot of uncertainty with the economy and the future of really everything and how things are going to play out for the next year or two but there's a lot of people who love fantasy baseball and fantasy football and such and they kind of rely on playing that every day and they spend some money on it right and gambling sports gambling has grown in popularity year after year and now that it's legal in many parts of this country it's another thing people look forward to of course with no sports you know you still have that time on hand and you still like to think about sports so a lot of people are translating that into this hobby and money i think money is uncertain for a lot of people but right now there's a lot of people still have plenty of money to spend and maybe, maybe, I mean, it's an individual person to person basis, but a lot of people, if they have money in their hands, they want to spend it on something. I see people talk about like a stimulus check, like one stimulus check, I'm sure can help a little bit, but even if you're on unemployment and you're getting full unemployment benefits and you're getting bonus payments, $600 a week, whatever it is, or if you are working, either way, you have money coming in. And if you have money coming in, well, you're not going out to eat that often, if at all. You're not going out to the movies. You're not going to these games. You're not going out and spending this money. So with all your extra time, you're sitting at home and you're finding and thinking about all these things you want to collect. And that's where a lot of the money's going. And we've seen that kind of happen. Uh, right now. And I think that's what kind of boosted the market, kind of sprung it back to life after about what a week. And it's gotten bigger and bigger every week. Because now with this new trend, and we see it on YouTube, the platform that we both spend a lot of time on, and it obviously goes beyond that, it goes to message boards and Twitter and Instagram and all that. The new trend of investing in sports cards, which is generally more so flipping, but that's a whole nother discussion. All these people are jumping in and now they're getting involved and everyone's buying and then selling and putting them up higher and higher and higher. And that's just kind of just keeps that ball keeps rolling down the hill. That rock keeps rolling down the hill, picking up more and more as it goes down. So it's been crazy. And those to me are the reasons why it's been growing beyond like nostalgia. A lot of people are getting big time into the eighties again because they're old enough now to kind of look back on it and maybe spend some money on some of those cards as they get involved in the hobby. 
And that's why uh, this hobby has just grown uh, price-wise so much. Can it last? I don't know. It can certainly last for a period of time. Things can't rise in this price at this rate, you know, forever. That's that's pretty clear. But the hobby, I believe, will stay uh, popular. The hobby itself will be around for a very long time. Um, but we're in a boom, and you know, not every boom lasts forever. So it will be uh, kind of fascinating to follow for sure. Well, everything's going to change at the whenever you want to say the end of this is. I think the end means something different for everyone, and there's probably multiple ends that uh, you could classify. Uh, the resumption of sports will definitely be a big one that probably a lot of people who are listening to this have their eyes set on. And I totally agree with your point that this is not sustainable in terms of the growth that we've seen, just because <clears throat> nobody would be able to buy sports cards if that was the case. I don't think we will get back to some of the prices we've seen on certain cards. And if not, uh, it's going to take a considerable amount of time to get back to that point. Uh, there are extremes where people say it's here to stay. There are extremes where people say <clears throat> there's going to be a market crash. And I just, I don't see eventually these cards are going to dry up enough where there's not going to be enough for sale that were to last at this, at this rate. So I don't see it being sustained that way. Do I think that we will see a bubble burst similar to that of the junk wax era? I don't think so. I think the hobby has shielded itself and just the complexion of the hobby in general is much different than it was in the nineties. A serial numbered card to 10,000, such as the elite series was a massive, it's still a massive deal today. Uh, a lot of people love the Elite Series, but it was 10 times bigger in the early 90s. Whereas now, a serial number card, <clears throat> people open up hobby boxes where the expectation is every pack has a serial numbered card, and some boxes, a serial number card that's a print run of 99 or less. It's kind of crazy to think about how much the hobby has changed in just this short amount of time compared to its general lifespan. Um, and you have pack-inserted autographs. You have relic cards as well. And I think the demand for even the base rookie cards, which have drawn criticism that maybe they're being too much printed in recent years, that was the same thing that was said about the 2011 update Mike Trout. And that's a card that is always going to be an outlier in a lot of categories. But one of the big arguments against purchasing it when it was, say, 25 bucks back in... 2014 was well that's ridiculous who would pay that much money for a base card from just a couple of years ago well eventually trout becomes the best player in the game and everybody and their mom their niece their neighbor next door they all want to have a mike trout rookie card so the demand is there and the population on them still it's only about 4700 at psa 10 I'm sure there's a lot more than 4,700 uh, collectors out there who would like to own a PSA 10 Mike Trout. And that's just the ones that are out there. A lot of them are stored away in collections already. That's getting off topic a little bit. But I believe that the hobby, just in that aspect, has shielded itself where the print runs are not going to be where they were in the late 80s and early 90s. I believe 
we've learned from that mistake and we might have some similarities between the two that you can definitely argue that, but I don't think that we're in for a repeat. I certainly hope not. There is a doomsday scenario, which could collapse the baseball card market. Of course, hope that wouldn't be the case. And I would hope that lessons have been learned over the years, but I always hear people talk about the junk wax era and how the overproduction to me was a very small portion of that problem. Obviously it was a problem, right? But cards were mass produced for years in the eighties and into the nineties. Um, and the market the the interesting thing about today's market is that we are nowhere close to the popularity level in the hobby that we were in the late eighties, early nineties from a pop culture perspective. We're scratching the surface of getting there. Yes, these influencers, these big people, and there's a lot of articles. There's articles in Sports Illustrated and The Athletic and uh, Wall Street Journal and all that. So the more people that read that, the more they'll pay attention. So baseball cards will continue to gain popularity. But one of the things from the junk wax era, late 80s, 89, you know, I remember 89 it being huge with Upper Deck, 90 Leaf, uh, 93 finest are still going strong. The thing to me that really devastated the hobby was the mass production. But uh, most of it was brought on by the player strike, in my opinion, in 94. And people were so pissed off with baseball that, you know, that hurt the hobby big time. You know, 94 products, I think, were a little shorter printed or something. 95. And like, yeah, this it was still popular after that, but I really think the strike was one of the big things that helped derail, um, the hobby. And obviously they still continued to produce things, um, throughout that. But that's the one thing I have my eye kept on. If they don't play baseball this year for health reasons, I think it'll be all right. If it's more so, if it comes out that it's more so because of financial reasons, I think that will be problematic for the hobby but it could recover if somehow they don't play this year because of financial reasons or even if they do play. And if there's a player strike in a year or two, when the agreement runs out, that will be a massive problem. But I certainly hope that both the players and owners have learned from past mistakes and that they will uh, work something out. I do believe they will work something out, but that is something I would certainly uh, keep my eye on for sure. That would be the most problematic thing is if, people get fed up and lose interest in the current players due to, you know, the sport being taken away from them again after now, you know, we currently aren't able to watch it. So that that's to me the biggest thing um, that you have to watch out for, for a market crash, as people put it. Definitely. Uh, and there's been quite a bit of talk about that lately with our players willing to take an additional cut to their salary to play. Will players be all right with resuming play? Uh, because this, the pandemic is not going to go away completely by the time that a World Series would presumably happen. Probably going to be even a concern for the projected opening day for 2021, I would imagine. I know a lot of uh, city ordinances where a lot of franchises are located have certain orders or they ban certain sizes of mass gatherings through 
states in 2021. And it's kind of crazy to think about it that far in the future when we're just trying to get on the field in 2020. I think they've definitely taken steps uh, recently with some of the bigger issues, such as the free agency um, kind of wait and see game that had gone on for a couple of years in, in the Bryce Harper free agency. Whereas this past off season and is still an off season, a lot of the bigger names signed fairly quickly. Uh, there wasn't this long drawn out process. See a lot of these extensions being handed out, rewarding young players such as your Ronald Acuna juniors um, who maybe only have one or two years of experience, but they're going out there and they've proven themselves enough where uh, a team is willing to kind of take that gamble that they're going to produce at that level and maybe get a great bargain for several years down the line. It's even at the point where the White Sox the past two years have offered record-setting deals to two guys who've never even played the Major League Baseball game. And it's just incredible. I know that the Phillies, they offered a deal to Scott Kingery prior to his debut, I believe, or it was right during his debut, where you know, for the next five years of his rookie deal, he's you know have enough money where he could feasibly retire uh, and pretty much be set for life, I would say, after those five years and kind of just take that gamble on himself. Does he want to turn that down or whatever the case may be? So I think just measures like that in general. Uh, in terms of how it impacts the hobby, it just kind of depends. Uh, I, I think if you were to see a strike of some sort at any point in time, you would lose a lot of the fairweather collectors, those who might have interest in multiple sports. Certainly the investors would turn away uh, because the, the strike adds a lot of unpredictability to it and a lot of instability in the market, I would say. And that, that would probably scare a lot of them off where basketball might be a safer option for them at that point. I know a lot of them are very prevalent on the basketball side things or the basketball side of things already. Um, but I think that your diehard fans, guys like you and I, will still be there uh, regardless of what happens. And I think the hobby has that strong foundation of people who they may go away for some time, but they're never really gone. Well, yeah, the hobby will continue. My thing is more with the insane prices and the investors do play a, a role in that. The thing is we need to continue to add collectors to the hobby, which is definitely happening. It's absolutely happening. I think you're just hearing more about the investing uh, people jumping into it in in line with the prices that are going crazy right now. And, uh, you know, that's just like the biggest fear. I, I welcome people to get involved in the hobby, and I, I think it's fun to see people enthusiastic about it. But that's why I think it's key to have – to encourage people also to collect um, not just buy and sell, but to collect some and, you know, pay attention and get a feel for the actual hobby. Cause that's where you r could run into an issue in terms of prices. If all of a sudden everyone's just buying just a flip and then, you know, eventually who are you going to sell the stuff to? But overall, I think the hobby is clearly just rising and rising and rising. And you're seeing people who care about the cards and that's why they're kind of going back into the eighties and nineties, going back into time beyond just uh, the current players. But It'll be kind of interesting just to see how things evolve and develop. Clearly, some of these rookies that are hot uh, commodities right now, some of them will eventually be dime box cards, and some of them 
they might be tenfold the current price. You know, you just, you don't know. And that's one of the uh, fun things about following the hobby and being involved in it is just to see the evolution and the constant change. So I think the hobby and the prices in the hobby are just, they're crazy and it's definitely fun to follow. And I certainly believe that, you know, everything is going to play out in a different way. I think the biggest key is probably, you know, who you collect um, and what kind of money you put into it. I think stuff like, I think things are gearing towards the legends, the all-time greats in the price range. I just think that some guys' prices have elevated because of that. And the the key is like, will the guys who are tiers below be able to sustain those values? Your Mike Trouts, your Michael Jordans, your Tom Brady's, the all-time greats, I think they're always going to have that strong following and that strong uh, valuation. It's kind of the tiers below that, and not necessarily the retired guys, but the active players. Like, Are they going to be able to sustain that? So there's a lot of different guys out there, and it really does depend on who you collect. And I would say if you're someone, for example, who if you're into basketball and you want to target Michael Jordan cards, well, even base cards, uh, regular hoops base card, you're going to probably have to pay up a little bit for it, more than you would a base card of, of anybody else. I've seen it with LeBron James recently. His, I believe his 2019 Prism base card in a PSA 10 is now over $100. So, we're talking about just the, the most generic of cards there. Prism being kind of the flagship brand of the NBA. Uh, most would probably make that argument. Just the standard base card now is all the way up there. And this is, it's not anything out of the ordinary. It's just a regular card. Um, but it might force people to look at some of the different areas of the hobby. Uh, one area right now that I see being a little bit underrated is some of the inserts out there. There are some really cool looking inserts that Topps has come out with in recent years. And I would say Panini too, if you expand outside of baseball and the, the hobby, how it works is very much in cycles. So we take a look at, there's this revolution right now of the eighties and nineties when the rookie card is King. That's kind of what we're seeing again. Now it's still heavy emphasis on the hits that come out of products. But a lot of people open up packs chasing the rookies just because the hits aren't always a realistic option, especially if you're priced out of the hobby market, like a lot of people have been recently, where you're not guaranteed to get those. You can still pull a base rookie card because it has the same odds as any other base card. And I think that's the beauty of collecting the rookie. Uh, If that starts to price people out and say that the prices get to the territory where people have to look for other options, bank inserts that became really popular in the 90s, you might see that again. And you've already seen it with some of them. I know that on the uh, football side of things, you have the downtowns that are extremely popular. And I can see those being something that maybe 20 years down the line are ones that hardcore collectors want to go after. Uh, There's also alternative options if you want to collect the rookies. I see a lot of criticism towards maybe some of the lower-end products. So talking to your tops big league, your tops uh, fire, not to pick on your favorite, but maybe even Allen and Ginter could be considered in that category where you can get a Ronald Acuna Jr. Allen and Ginter rookie 
a PSA 10 for a lot cheaper than you can get a, say, Topps Chrome or a Topps Update Rookie. And Ginter is one of those products that has a long continuity to it. You can collect a lot of different rookies. It's first year, I believe, was 06. You, you probably know the answer to that one. Um, you can get a Justin Verlander rookie card, and you can get, say, who's a good pitcher right now who just came up, a Jack Flaherty or a Mike Soroka. So it's, that's the beauty of it, is that it has that lineage to it. Uh, it might not be as glamorous or as uh, touted in the hobby, maybe as a Topps Chrome, but there are all there are alternatives that you can seek out in the meantime. So the recent boom, it might force a lot of people to kind of change what they're doing or reassess what they're doing for the time being. But uh, rather than seeing it as a threat, I think a lot of us can see it as an opportunity to maybe explore different parts of the hobby that we previously had just kind of not given a chance to. Yeah, there's definitely plenty of options out there, and I agree. There's so much to look at. I don't. The boom is it's great in a couple ways, right? If you're if you're sitting on some unopened wax products that have doubled and tripled and quadrupled in price, that's definitely a positive. If you have cards in your collection that have now gone up three to ten times, that's pretty cool too. Of course, if there's cards that you had been planning on picking up and you were like, ah, I'll get them later, or I'll get them at the National or something like that, well, then you kind of feel like you missed out. So there's positives and negatives. I think overall, it's it's fun to watch the prices. It's fun to see the enthusiasm. But I also think that people need to you know, be cautious and the more money you're spending, you have to think things through maybe a little bit. It's obviously always easy to go on anything and you can spend some money pretty quickly, whether it's you end up winning a couple eBay auctions or even some of the sites like COMC or sport lots where you're buying, you're more so maybe focused on the lower end cards. I mean, it's pretty easy to click, 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 click. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, Oh, I didn't expect to have a total of a hundred to $200, but it's certainly possible and very easy to do. But if you're making these big purchases, I, I do think, um, it's, important to kind of think it through and think about it and kind of pay attention to what you're doing. Um, because otherwise that's where people, you know, could end up getting themselves hurt a little bit. Uh, cause the more this market moves in a upwards direction, the more people getting involved, the more you're going to kind of have to pay attention to who you're buying from sometimes too, the more issues you have with, you know, potentially dishonest, uh, people out there looking to take advantage and that's just the reality of any and every market so I guess that's if that makes sense that's what I'm trying to kind of get out to some of the people who might just be new back into the hobby or just getting into the hobby you you definitely want to educate yourself and there's a lot of ways to do that there's articles and websites to read there's you know hundreds and hundreds of videos on uh, YouTube to watch and I, I do think it's important to follow experienced collectors not just popular people out there like gary v in one of his live streams he even said i forget exactly how he phrased it but he's like i don't know anything i know that i did sports cards in the late 80s early 90s but i am not super knowledgeable on the brand new stuff i'm just talking about players that i think appear to be undervalued so you want to make sure you're getting your information from people who have different views and you know a lot of experience yeah, two, there's two things that came to mind when you said that. Um, in terms of gathering information from other people, 
I'm sure most people can relate it, especially if they're watching this on YouTube. Uh, you watch a video of someone, you see a card that you really like, and all of a sudden you find yourself typing it in on eBay and kind of browsing around, seeing if maybe you can pick it up for yourself, or maybe you're looking for the same set or design for a player or team that you like to collect. I know that there are several super collectors out there who have cards that overlap during Miguel Cabrera's career. And I see that card and I think to myself, I wonder if Cabrera has that type of card. And they kind of inspire me to go check it out. And then all of a sudden, what do you know, 15 minutes later, I've got my order confirmation from eBay uh, saying that my shipment is on its way. So it's, it's fascinating to see that and you, you might get turned on to something in the hobby that maybe you didn't know. And it allows you to kind of turn over new stones. And uh, I guess kind of going back to what we discussed in, in a different segment too, just understanding why people collect and uh, having that understanding too, allows you to kind of have that conversation with yourself, look, your, look at yourself in the mirror and assess your collection and, and your motivations. Why do you do it? And I think answering that question for yourself, is is absolutely critical um so looking at that is is essential to me is checking out different youtubers and i think that there's a lot of as you you mentioned several times throughout this there's a lot of different ways to collect and sometimes they might not be the most obvious way but they're out there if you if you dig enough and uh, part of it too this the second point i was going to make is let's appreciate what we already have too I mean, it's always about what's coming in next. I always think of the, the Stoke Sports video where yeah, I think it's called the final mail day where it's this epic uh, music where he gets in the card in the mail then tosses it over his shoulder and goes right back onto eBay searching for more cards. And that is probably more relatable than most of us care to admit to. But there was a, a day, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, where I was just going through some of my relic cards I had in my super collection. And I got this really nice flawless patch that I had picked up at a time where I had gotten a few high-end cards at once. And sometimes they all run together when that happens. And I had kind of forgotten about it. And I felt bad because I was really excited to get that card at the time. It wasn't a cheap card by any means. It wasn't you know, one that you get on sport lots for a quarter or something. And I, I said to myself, you know what, I'm not going to buy anything else today i'm gonna not go on ebay for the rest of the day i'm just gonna look at what i have and appreciate what i have and i think that's something too that we can look at especially if these are challenging times for anyone out there who maybe you cannot afford to spend money on new cards right now i know i've definitely cut back recently on adding some stuff to my collection but it definitely has made a lot of the new mail days a lot more special and has really allowed me to take a look at what i have and be appreciative for that kind of reflect on some of those cards as well relive that moment when i first got the cards yeah that's definitely a great point to kind of appreciate what you have it's certainly important put a lot of time effort and energy into building the collection you have it's something that i definitely need to do more often myself i mean i i pull out boxes from time to time and flip through them and you do sit there and just reflect on oh man i remember picking this up uh, i remember getting this one at a show and you know these couple people with with me i got this one at the national and i was walking around with this guy you know oh this is one i i pulled out of a pack you know at some point this is one that 
you know, I was breaking product with my dad and we got that, you know, together. So that's, so all these cards are going to bring back a rush of memories. So it's definitely important to appreciate, uh, everything you have accumulated and everything you do have. And then, you know, along the way, maybe you find some things and you're like, ah, you know what, this is pretty cool, but I, I don't really need this. You know, maybe I'll move this and be able to use that money towards something different. And I think it's important for people to understand too, who are new to the hobby or just getting back into it. And, you know, this is going to be ever changing and it's going to be constant, but like, you're going to evolve as a collector. You're going to be into one thing and then you're going to move, you know, a lot of people get started the same way. They maybe break some hobby or some wax, uh, retail products, maybe even something you get from Walgreens or something, one of those Fairfield boxes, and then you're going to get more and more into opening stuff. Then maybe you get kind of intrigued and interested in grading cards. And then, you know, you get into the hobby boxes and then eventually like, hey, you know what, I'm going to shift to buying singles. And maybe you get more and more interested in rookies or, you know, at some point you dip your toes into vintage or pre-war. Uh, you're just going to change as a collector as things go on. So I think that's a good and healthy thing as well. Um, that doesn't mean you don't keep what you have in your collection, but you might change and kind of shift gears um, a little bit here and there. And that's all things and different aspects of the hobby that are a lot of fun to, uh, collect keep it fresh your channel is a uh, great example of the diversification of the hobby you pretty much cover all areas of it uh, I, I don't know if there's anything i can say that you don't do i mean I, I look at my channel myself i started off as a ttmer pretty much and i've kind of evolved into several different things along the way before i kind of found my way too and i think that's important for maybe someone who's listening to this, who's just coming back into the hobby too, is that there are so many different areas out there to explore. And is it possible to be involved in everything? Yeah, it's, it's probably pretty challenging too, but I don't think you have to know what your calling is in the hobby right away. It, it might take some trial and error, but that's the beauty of it is that there's, you never have to do things a certain way. You never have to follow any strict guidelines. There's no rules to it just to do it within your means and have fun with it. And I think at the end of the day, you'll, you'll find how you want to approach your collection and you'll be able to amass something that you're definitely proud of and you love to show off to whoever you may show it off to, or just enjoy it for yourself. Yeah. And you can just keep building a collection kind of from the ground up. And then, you know, if you decide you want to kind of go higher and higher, you know, you collect stuff and then maybe move it via trade or sale and then, you know, use that money to kind of reinvest in your own collection. So a bunch of different ways you can do it. JT, it's been a, a really fun discussion, fun episode. Had a blast having you on. I uh, want to give you the opportunity. If there's anything else in the hobby that you uh, want to discuss or any other points you want to get across, I wanted to give you that opportunity before we sign off for the day. Well, I definitely appreciate you having me on, Mike. The time seemed to uh, fly by, and I hope the same can be said for those who were listening, and, and I hope to uh, engage in some discussion with some of you in the comments of this video when it's posted on YouTube. Um, in general, we, we talked a lot about the ongoing situation in the world right now, the pandemic, and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty there's some negativity of what we discussed. There's a lot of positivity as well. I think the hobby is definitely something that, despite all of the criticisms and all the things that we can be up in arms about, 
is something during this time that kind of keeps us going. It's something to look forward to. It's something that kind of keeps us connected while we may be uh, distanced physically and, and maybe not able to enjoy certain things that we have been used to enjoying pretty much our entire lives. So uh, treat the hobby as, as you want to. Uh, have fun with it. Enjoy it. Uh, appreciate the people that are within it. Um, there, there's some great friendships that I've made through it, especially through this platform in particular on YouTube uh, that I never could have imagined when I hit record on my camera for the first time to record a video. I feel that there are a lot more people out there who are willing to kind of embrace you and your collection and the hobby than there are people who are going to kind of be snobby towards it. You know, you have, you have a few bad apples in the group, but there's a lot of amazing people in the hobby out there to connect with. So, uh, branch out, reach out, have fun with it. A lot of well said points there. Um, yeah, the hobby is a good distraction. It's a good way to spend your time. If you have extra time at the current moment and it's very social, you wouldn't think, you know, you might have grown up and in the 80s and 90s been able to share the hobby with a lot of people. And maybe now you don't really know so many. There's a whole world of people across the country, across the world that collect and that are involved in social media. And it's one of the good aspects of social media, right? There's there's a lot of negativity on, uh, you know, for many topics outside of baseball cards. And there's some inside, but Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is huge, YouTube Tons of great people. They're real people. They're real collectors just like you, and they're amazing to interact with. I've been very lucky to, you know, be able to interact with so many people, um, not just, you know, on like these podcasts or doing videos, but at the shows, at the national, um, people I talk to on a weekly and daily basis um, through messenger, text, phone, and all of that. So it, it's amazing. So that's another thing to kind of keep in mind that this hobby can be a way to really uh, get yourself a group of friends or acquaintances that you can discuss the hobby, sports, and you know, kind of expand beyond that too. So in a time where there are people out there feeling kind of lonely and isolated, hey, it might not be as... as it's special to kind of connect with people at a show, but it's also special to connect with people uh, virtually online and s- such as well. So that that's definitely a real thing and something that's uh, you know a big plus in this hobby. Anyone out there who would like to uh, join the brotherhood of Miguel Cabrera Super Collectors, if you're if you're looking for something to do during these times, just feel free to reach out. We'll get we'll get you on the right track. All right, JT, it was a blast. Thank you once again for joining me. Thank you to everyone out there for listening. If you're listening on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever else this thing ends up being posted, please feel free to share, like it, comment, any of those things. If you're on YouTube, for sure, comment down below. I'm sure JT and myself will answer you. And until next time, have a great one.